coffee isn't just a drink, it's who you are. We are Little Green Hive, and we're here to serve that perfect cup of coffee made just for you. We're women-owned and locally sourced. Our mission is to provide the best product for our customers, as well as strengthen our community. From fair trade coffees and teas, to breakfast, lunch, and smoothies, we have everything you need to start your day off right. Come visit us in downtown Roanoke, Grandin Village, and now at the Daleville Town Center, Little Green Hive, because coffee is personal. Hey, thanks so much for listening to Hometown Stories. It means a lot to us. If you like what you hear, we'd love it if you shared us with a friend, left us a review, or subscribed to Hometown Stories. That way, you basically get first dibs as soon as we release a new episode. You can also email us at hometownstories at wdbj7.com. We'd love to hear your hometown story. Okay, now let's get back to the episode. After Roanoke-based national best-selling author Beth Macy wrote Dope Sick in 2018, she was convinced she never wanted to write about the opioid crisis again. It was too frustrating, too depressing. But as she traveled the country, she found something that changed her mind. Hope. Macy is launching her latest book, Raising Lazarus, Hope, Justice, and the Future of America's Overdose Crisis. She says it takes a look at the unique ways people are working to meet those with substance use disorder, where they are, and why it's working. In this episode of Hometown Stories, I chat with Macy about Raising Lazarus, the inspiration for its title, and the hope she hopes we find in its pages. Our conversation originally appeared on the WDBJ7 Plus digital news desk. Uh, Beth, my first question is, you've written a couple different books. Up till now, they've all been on very different topics. Did you ever expect to write an opioid follow-up book? Well, in 2018, when uh, before the book came out, but after I'd finished it, I thought, I'm never going to write about this again. You know, Dope Sick, the book ends with um, one of my lead folks that I've been following for more than two years being murdered. Um, she just experienced barrier after barrier. And I was so frustrated with the government's and the community's lack of taking care of these barriers for her that I was honestly, I was really depressed about it. But then as I started traveling around the nation talking about dope sick, I started learning about innovations that were happening and in unexpected places in some cases, like rural pockets of Appalachia, where they were actually doing cutting edge care and the kind of care that my, uh, my, the subject of dope sick, Tess Henry, had not been able to access. And I thought, I'm not out of this yet. I am going to do another book. And so I proposed it. And here it is about to come out tomorrow, which is so exciting. I also want to ask you first, it's the book title is called Raising Lazarus, Hope, Justice, and the Future of America's Overdose Crisis. Can you tell us a little bit about the inspiration for the title? Yeah, the inspiration of the title comes from the story of Lazarus. And a lot of people think, oh, that's about Narcan, which is the reversal antidote that brings 
people who are overdosing back to life. That's part of it, but it's a story that I heard from a North Carolina harm reductionist named Reverend Michelle Math this. And uh, the first time I met her, we were at this community meeting of do-gooders, and they were trying to organize a transportation network in rural Mount Airy, North Carolina. There were, there were treatment slots. It was just that folks couldn't get rides to treatment. And so um, this meeting was supposed to be calling uh, uh, church volunteers to drive people to treatment, and it soon got hijacked by a civic leader who said, I think when they overdose, we should let them die and take their organs. And Reverend Mathis, um, she always tells the story of Lazarus to get Christian good people to check their blind spots because we all have blind spots. I myself had blind spots around this issue. And so the story she tells when something like that happens is Jesus performed the miracle of raising Lazarus, but first he called the disciples together. They had to roll the stone so he could come out uh, from the burial tomb. I have a chapter called Stone Rollers in the new book. And um, then he said, unbind him, uh, take off the burial cloth. And as Michelle says, um, it's not clean work. It might stink. You might get a little bit of mess on you, but only by getting close to the folks who need you can you experience the miracle of raising Lazarus. And that just touched me so deeply it, because I saw her approach working over and over again. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about how you got up close um, in just a second. But I know that in one of the reviews, uh, uh, one of the advanced reviews said of Raising Lazarus, it's a hopeful account like no other. And I think we're all clinging to any sort of shred of hope, not only to the opioid crisis, but after the last two years that we've had, basically anything. <laughs> um, how do you hope that this offers hope? Well, Mr. Rogers says, when you're scared, find the helpers, right? So that's what I did. I embedded with these, a lot of rural harm reductionists who were offering cutting edge, life-saving treatments to people in homeless encampments, under bridges, in McDonald's parking lots. Um, I also embedded with a group of activists that were trying really hard to get the voices of Purdue Pharma's victims heard in court. And you might know, you probably all heard that, oh, they've been shamed or whatever. And sure enough, the Sacklers have been shamed, but um, they managed to wrangle their way into a bankruptcy court, even though they were far from bankrupt. That case is now on appeal. And um, if things stand as they are right now, uh, they will walk away with a lot of their wealth intact. And we don't, we don't, the activists that I follow and, and me too. I, I mean, money is power. Why should they get to walk away with all this power when they were really the taproot of an overdose crisis that has now taken the lives of more than one million Americans? Beth, Raising Lazarus, the title, the inspiration that you shared, the story from the Bible, talking about getting close to the issue, even if it's messy, even if it's troublesome. Where did you find, you started, You said you started the book in the McDonald's parking lot. When you got really up close, as you have been doing, where did you find unique solutions that were offering sustainable success for uh, those with substance use disorder? Well, I found them in a number of different venues. The, the people who were getting closest to the actual addicted folks were people who were doing harm reduction. And that's this idea of we're going to meet you where you are. Even if you're still using, we're going to meet you with non-judgment and with love. 
and we're going to ask you what your version of recovery is. It might not be abstinence. And that was, that was a learning curve for me too. Um, uh, the idea is, you know, I, tell, I, I learned this story and I tell it in the book, um, a heroin user in the 1990s in New York City goes into a needle exchange and, sa- and the person at the front desk says, how can I help you? And he says, I'm hungry. And they give him a sandwich. And that li- building of little threads of hope is why the data shows that people who visit needle exchanges are five times more likely to eventually enter treatment. It's the fact that this group of drug users has been so stigmatized. I mean, I tell the story in the book of a young woman in Roanoke, 27 years old, who died of end-stage endocarditis, and that's an infection of a heart valve uh, caused by injecting drugs, rather than go back to the hospital where she had been treated like crap numerous times. She stayed home and died alone. That's how powerful stigma is in our communities and really across the nation. I want to talk about stigma, but I also want to talk first about COVID. Um, you and I spoke last year when we were seeing data from 2020 coming out about just how heavily uh, not just Southwest Virginia, but the entire nation was being directly affected or indirectly affected by COVID. How do you, you know, having more time to look back, how do you feel largely that COVID will have um, affected the progress that was being made and the future of addressing this crisis? Yeah, I mean, one good thing that came out of COVID um, was the fact that people could get addiction medicines via telehealth for the first time. SAMHSA relaxed its rules on that. I hope they continue to relax the rules. I'm not sure what the status of that is now. But we've got to make the treatments easier to access than the dope. And I mean, buprenorphine, which study after study shows its efficacy, buprenorphine and methadone both, we've got to make those easier to access because study after study shows that you're 60 to 80 times more likely not to die than an abstinence-only approach, which has a rate of about 8 to 12%. So the data is really clear. I feel like I've been saying this since 2018 over and over and over. But you know, some people still don't know what it is. And some, many people, many drug users have never been offered it from a doctor. They've maybe bought it off the streets, but they've never been offered this life-saving medicine that reduces cravings. It really helps at its best and that's often with social supports and counseling. It offers people a chance to get their lives back together, to get jobs, to get kids, because they're not just waking up every morning going, how do I get well? And that means like using drugs to avoid the painful, excruciating withdrawal of being dope sick. You mentioned the, the story of somebody saying, let them, you know, let them die, harvest their organs. And stigma has been and perhaps continues to be that large barrier to people getting what they need. I remember when we spoke last year, you had talked to a lot of people who said, well, you know, some people just have to hit rock bottom. But you said in the age of fentanyl, rock bottom Mm -hmm. is death. Do you still find that kind of stigma? Is it getting any better? I mean, honestly, I don't. If it's getting better, it's marginally better. We have an 87% treatment gap in this country. That means 13% of people with opioid use disorder or OUD um, have been able to get treatment in the past year. So 87% haven't. That number was 90% about two years ago. So a little bit of progress, but not much. And when you drill into the data. Uh, that SAMHSA puts out, you'll see that the largest group of people with opioid use disorder 
are people who say, who self-report that they don't want to stop using drugs. And why they do that, it's because they don't see a way to access it. They've tried before and they've been stigmatized when they went to the ER or when they went to the doctor. There's still a huge waiting list to get into um, Suboxone programs. And the answer really is to meet them where they are so we can prove that we're in it, to win it, to beat back this overdose crisis. And that's why I thought it was so important to elevate, to celebrate the work of these harm reduction warriors all over the country. Um, they need help. Esquire called Raising Lazarus among the best books of 2022 so far. The LA Times put it on its 10 books to add to the August reading list. And Times said it's one of the 12 new books to read this August. How does it feel to have that kind of praise this early on? Mm, it feels really good. I mean, I want the people that are in the book to like recognize themselves and to feel that their work has been honored. I mean, when I was in my younger days in my career, like the awards were really important. The feedback from your peers was really important. But as I've gotten older, I just want people to think I got it. I nailed it. Um, and so this early support and this early feedback has been really amazing. Raising Lazarus becomes available tomorrow. We're going to talk a little bit about how you can join Beth to learn about Raising Lazarus. We'll talk a little bit about how to get a copy. But first, I want to go back to your other opioid book, Dope Sick. Here's some of the images from the uh, award-winning Hulu miniseries starring Michael Keaton. Crazy. Some of these shots, if it looks familiar, it's because it is familiar. It was shot right here in Southwest Virginia. Portions of it features extras who are people from our communities. Uh, Peabody Award winner. Uh, Beth, I just wonder if you could talk a little bit about kind of what it was like to elevate the story from our hometowns to this level. Oh, it was such an honor. You know, the book, Dopestick, did great. It was on the bestseller list for around a month sold a couple hundred thousand copies, 10 million viewers watched this show. So going in, the showrunner and creator, Danny Strong and I said, if we can get people to understand that it's not the quote addicts that are the bad guys in this story, it's Purdue Pharma that told lies to get doctors to prescribe this dangerous drug. They're the villains. You know, Richard Sackler famously said, hammer the abusers, they are the criminals, they are the villains. But I think, if you come away from watching this eight hour show, you learn who the real culprits are. Some of the best feedback we've had from the show so far has been people reaching out to our team saying, I watched your show and for the first time in three years, I called my addicted loved one. Mm -hmm. So to see a show like that, you got this A-list actor who's so amazing. Uh, he's, he's, portrayal is so powerful. And Caitlin Deaver, who just won an award last night, who plays the addicted coal miner Betsy, you know, they all took their role in the show so seriously and they did their homework. They brought their A game and I'm just so proud of it. So I want to talk about uh, how people can get the book. It drops tomorrow and you do have an event as well, hosted by Book No Further, coming up Monday, August 22nd, 7 p.m. at Charter Hall in the Roanoke City Market Building. People can get book and event tickets online. Uh, what should they expect from that experience, Beth? Well, I'll be talking about the book. I'll be previewing a little bit of it, probably reading from it. There'll also be two of the innovators that are profiled in it. Originally, they were really doing some innovative things that I wrote about for The Atlantic in May of 2020. Nikki King and her former boss, Tim Putnam, 
who innovated this really cool program to help stop that in and out cycle of folks who were coming in and out of jail, going out, relapsing, and they were they they innovated this program to help help stop the cycle. And so they're gonna be here with us in the audience. So that'll be cool. Probably have them speak a little bit. And, you know, I just really hope people come out. Dolores Vest, who runs Book No Further, uh, is an amazing part of our community. She's done all the work for this. And hopefully people will turn out and support the book. We've had Dolores here on uh, the digital news desk as well, featuring local bookstore owners and also local literature. And this falls right into that category, which is pretty exciting as well. Uh, we had uh, Brenda chiming in on Facebook saying that she loved the show. So oh, she wanted to share Brenda. that as well. Yeah, we appreciate everybody who's been tuning in today. Beth, anything else that you would like to add about Raising Lazarus, how to get it, what you want people to get out of that book? Um, well, I hope you get it at Book No Further. You can look on our website, which is booknofurther.com. Come out to the event on Monday if you can. But just, you know, the book the solutions are not always the most obvious solutions. Some of them are counterintuitive. Giving a drug user a clean needle, for instance, it sounds like, well, that not that enabling? No, it's not. It's, it's helping them so you can build the trust that when they're ready to get sober, you can be there and help them. And in the meantime, you're making it safer for others in your community. You're stopping the spread of hepatitis C and HIV. So I would just say, please, please read it and come to it with an open mind because I think the stories that I tell are pretty irrefutable by the end of the book. We'd like to thank very much our special guest today, Beth Macy, joining us here at the Digital News Desk to talk about her latest book, which drops tomorrow, Raising Lazarus, Hope, Justice, and the Future of America's Overdose Crisis. We'll put a link to her website on WDBJ7.com and a link to the website where you can get tickets for the event hosted by Book No Further here in downtown Roanoke. Elsewhere, though, on Beth Macy's website, book events also listed here including in Richmond, Harrisburg, Columbus, Ohio, lots, some virtual as well. So we'll also put a link to that on our website so you can get access. Beth, thank you once again for joining us. Thanks so much, Leanna. I really enjoyed it. Hometown Stories is a production of WDBJ7 in Roanoke, Virginia. This episode was written and produced by me, Leanna Scacchetti, and edited by Ben Roquelmi. We'll see you next time. Hometown Stories is sponsored by Little Green Hive, because coffee is personal. Locations in downtown Roanoke, Daleville, and Grandin.